Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. I'm just the other guy that joins in, Corwin Heller. And welcome to the show today. This is our this is our last episode with, with Josh still in New Jersey for the next couple of weeks um, as I'll be heading out to Austin on Saturday. Two days after you hear this and we'll be unavailable to um, do this, do my regular daytime job uh, and bear any responsibility for my actions or deeds. Um, since I last I checked, I don't think there are laws in Texas outside of the ones that prohibit women's reproductive rights. I think everything else is fair game. I think ev- everything else is cool. I was about to say it's like the Wild West out there until I remembered that like at a certain point it in time, is. it literally was the Wild West. And in certain places, it probably is the Wild West. But out of fear of them shooting me, I will not comment. Is it the Wild Wild West? The Will Smith movie? I unironically thought that was a fun movie. I'm going to be honest. Not a, not a good movie. I don't think I've ever actually seen it. Movie. It is ridiculous and cheesy and corny and bad, but fun. Well, he turned down The Matrix to be in that. So for Will Smith's sake, I hope it's at least a little, a little fun. Man, but, Will Smith, what a, what a career. Can we just like break down Will Smith's career? At some point, we might have to. Great rapper, okay rapper, to lovable star of the Fresh Prince, to now just some guy I just do not care enough about to To, to any Oscar-nominated actor, to being that guy who people make memes about because his wife likes to fuck other dudes and he seemingly doesn't do anything about it, but also cares a lot. I don't know. Who cares? That's not what we're here to talk about today. He's got problems. As we are recording right now, uh, my my local hometown, Houston Astros, big fan, been that way for years, um, <laughs> are currently squaring up against the Red Sox in a very important game three um, for the ALCS. The uh, Astros, I, I kept waffling between which team I was about to mention. The Astros just... Uh, took game four against the Sox last night in, in uh, Tuesday night's game as we're recording this um, by a score of nine to two after a solo shot tied the game in late innings in the top of the eighth off of the bat of Jose Altuve. And then what followed was a seven run ninth inning as the Astros batted around on the Red Sox to really just break the game open at their last possible opportunity and put it away for good as they managed to shut down the Red Sox bats from the second inning, first inning on whenever Sander Bogarts hit that home run. And boy, has this felt like the series of lopsided fucking games so far. Um, As it feels like, granted, this last one for eight innings, both teams were very much so in it. And for eight innings, it really could have gone either way. That is the whole deal with, you know, one run games. But, uh, you know, boss, I guess maybe it's really just Boston having run away with those middle two games with the Astros barely coming back to to beat the Sox in game one and then coming back to beat the Sox in game four with the Sox just murdering in the two games in between. So even though it feels very Sox heavy so far, series is tied. Yes, it is. I really just, I don't know where, which way it's going to go. I have no idea. I still want to say the Astros just because they seem like a better team. But, oh my God, the Red Sox are fucking annoying with how they just appear and disappear seemingly at random. They hit three grand slams in two days just because, why the fuck not? Uh, sure, yeah. we, we can do it. You know we can. Um and then their bats uh, disappeared in game four. And obviously that's the way baseball goes. It's a fucking stupid sport where this shit happens, but it's still wild to see a team hit. Let's see. They got uh, 25 runs in their first three games and then got two in their fourth game. First three games combined averaged five runs per game, which it somehow feels like more than that. Sorry, 25 runs. So that would be uh, 
what seven and a half runs per game. My my bad. That sounds more right. Um, I thought fifteen. I, I threw myself off. So and, and then dropped down to two. And again, baseball is a sport where stats kind of regulate themselves over a long enough stretch of time. So saying this one game, oofy ouchie, what boys, you sure what did happen? Uh, and all it is is like, hey, not everyone can get a home run every night the way that the, the Sox offense had been chugging along for the previous three games. But fuck, I have a it's also going to be interesting because the Red Sox really fucked with their own pitching last night. Did you watch any of the game? Ended at no. midnight. Uh, they threw out Nathan Eovaldi, who did not do well. And it was a very, uh, granted, the entirety of those pitching changes were confusing from the word go, but to throw Nathan Eovaldi in there when he's supposed to be pitching, I believe, game six, I believe, I could be wrong, um, is an odd choice because he's on short rest. It wouldn't line up with his throw day. Sometimes you see starters do that, like with Mad Max closing out the series against the Giants. Um, typically, when starting pitchers are going to have their starts, let's say um, my start is on Wednesday this week. I have a throw day on Tuesday where I throw, I don't know, 20 to 60 pitches. It depends on who you are and and what your uh, uh, workout routines are and all that shit. It could be a simulated inning, could just be random pitches, whatever. Um, And what some teams will do in the playoffs to make use of their best pitchers who are starters come into relief for an inning or two on their throw day, which they would have been throwing full force anyway and have them act as relievers. So they try to do that with Eovaldi, but because tomorrow is a getaway day, this is really quite early. Um, for him to go in and he got rocked a little bit. And if he doesn't come out pitching with Nathan Eovaldi force in game six, it's going to raise a lot of eyebrows to that managerial decision. How many runs did, uh, did he end up giving up? Uh, it was he what, allowed two, two when he went in. It was yes. Two, two. When he went in, he allowed four earned runs on two hits and two walks with two strikeouts altogether, throwing 24 pitches. That's an yeah. earned run every six pitches. That is very efficient. Yeah. Yeah. That is beautifully efficient. And uh, you got to applaud uh, Houston for just finding a way to you know play Astro ball. And then you also, you, you know, you got to give credit to Martin Perez, who went in there and just did absolutely nothing productive. <laughs> he went in there. He threw 11 pitches and allowed three runs on four hits and a walk. So really seven pitches. <laughs> he allowed four hits and, and two earned runs, three runs altogether. That's just amazing. That's beautiful. That's just Pure amazing. Beauty. Imagine letting up four hits on seven pitches. Yeah. And I imagine if I went out there, I would do significantly worse. No, that's not true because three of those pitches would absolutely be nowhere near home plate and nobody in their right mind would forget them. So, yeah, I could see it. You know, it's so funny because you get like Anthony Rizzo striking out Freddie Freeman earlier this year. Who you know, third baseman just fucking around, or sorry, first baseman just you know chucking him in there, not fast, no skill at pitching whatsoever. And here's an actual reliever whose full time job, like on LinkedIn, is reliever, and he he can't strike out fucking anybody. Yeah, Anthony I mean, Rizzo struck that- out the MVP of the National League. And Martin Perez couldn't get, like, I don't know, Martin Maldonado out or whoever. It's fine. I mean, this is clearly a ground ball defensive focus league now, and strikeouts are kind of overvalued in the modern MLB. Um, you know, different guys have to take different approaches for how to be successful, and Martin Perez clearly knows uh, the correct way for him. I just want to read you Martin Perez. <laughs> Martin Perez is... Um, Played appearances from 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 that day. You ready? It's really it's really quite hilarious seeing it listed out. So he Martin Martin Perez comes in to replace Nathan Eovaldi. Currently, 
there are uh, two men on base. Okay. Um, sorry, three men on base. The, uh, the bases are low. <laughs> That's right. The bases were loaded when they brought in Martin Perez. God, what the fuck were you doing? All right. So on the, let's see. Ah, uh, yes. First pitch of the at-bat. He lets up a three-run double <laughs> to <laughs> Michael Brantley. First pitch of the at-bat. We're it's moving okay. along. It's okay. Forget it. Move on. You know, warm it up. It's okay. Perfect from here on out. So then Alex Bregman comes up. What do you do? Ah, let's intentionally walk him. We don't want to deal with this. All right. So yeah. Alex Bregman gets intentionally walked. Then up comes Jordan Alvarez. And this is really just some absolutely bizarre managerial decision because I don't know why you would walk Bregman to get to Jordan Alvarez. Right? Like, I I know that it's the lefty-righty thing, but if we're talking about sheer home run threat, wouldn't you be more afraid of... Jordan Alvarez, then you would be Alex Bregman? Or are you banking on the strikeout? I think there you're banking on the strikeout and the lefty-righty. I think it's it's one of those things where it's like, we need an out. Yeah, Jordan Alvarez is just as good, if not better, of a hitter than Alex Bregman, but we need to do something to improve uh, our favor. Um and they were just trying to improve one or two things, I guess. Uh, so what do you think? I'm not going to ask the what do you think. Just for uh, context, Alex Bregman against left-handed pitching this year has an S OPS plus, And that's, again, a player's split OPS plus relative to the league. Um, so Alex Bregman's S OPS plus 130 against left-handed pitching with an OPS of 839. Um Jordan Alvarez's SOPS plus against left-handed pitching 137 with an OPS of 881, which is uh, a 40 some odd, 42 points higher than Alex Bregman's. So again, this actually doesn't even make sense from a dexterity perspective. This just doesn't make any fucking sense. You have a left-handed pitcher on the mound and you intentionally walked a batter who doesn't hit lefties as well as the guy behind him to face the guy behind him who hits lefties better. So anyway, Let's see how that decision pan out for them. Um, so, <laughs> so Jordan Alvarez is up and he hits single and that scores Brantley. Bregman moves over to second. Uh, he does that on the also first pitch of the at-bat. So, so far, <laughs> so far, so far, <laughs> Martin Perez has thrown two pitches and then he's allowed four runs. Guys. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's so funny. I just watched this game, but this all happened at about like 1145 at night. And I was dead tired and don't recall this. So seeing this laid out really just nails in the absurdity of this. He threw two pitches and allowed four runs. Hmm. Holy fuck. All right. So then Carlos Correa comes up. This is the the only at bat that he threw more than two pitches in. He uh, it took him six pitches to allow a single to Carlos Correa. That right, yeah, truly. That score is Bregman. Um, then up comes Kyle Tucker, who also on the first pitch of the at bat hits another single, scoring Jordan Alvarez, <laughs> and then uh, eventually Yuli Gurriel on the second pitch of his at bat uh, hits a fly out to uh, deep left field. Just wow. <laughs> I mean, just wow. Playoff baseball. And so obviously it's got to suck if you're a Red Sox fan and there's been a lot of discourse. I don't know if you've seen any of the discourse around uh, this one missed call by the ump uh, curveball that should have been called a strike to end um I forget who's at bat. Somebody's at bat, but it, it didn't. And and how dare they mess up that call? And that's what led to the Red Sox losing. Did you have you seen any of this? Uh, I did not. Uh, I I gotta say, 
I I fully sympathize with the fan, the Red Sox fan perspective of, you know, if uh, if this strike had gotten called a strike, it would have ended the I think that would have ended at the top of the night at two, two is what I think the context of this was, if I recall correctly. I'm not looking it up. It doesn't matter that much. Um, and I I fully empathize with the Red Sox fan side of things at the same time. Why why do you care? that much your, your your team scored two runs in nine innings i know that i understand that that one blown call would have under you know prevented a lot of the damage that ensued i.e seven entire runs in the bottom of the inning or in the top of the the ninth but at the same time i mean fuck dude you, you your team scored two runs in nine innings the odds of you losing that game are honestly a fucking coin flip because it's going to come down to who can score another run. It really doesn't matter. And you're lying to yourselves, Red Sox fans. If you don't think that Martin Perez was coming into the game to start the top of the 10th, if there should have been one and allowing all those fucking runs anyway. You know, I, I at least I see where they're coming from. You know, I don't have the same kind of Red Sox bias and, at the end of the day, it's a tie ball game that should have continued uh, being a tie ball game. Why they're getting upset is it's the difference between having a chance to win and losing. And at the end of the day, going into the 10th versus bringing in a pitcher in the bottom of the ninth in a high leverage situation, but with, a, I guess, a, a slightly different, I mean, I don't know. At the end of the day, it, it might have been a different pitcher than Mark. Martin Perez, it probably wouldn't have been, but we can't make those kind of decisions because that we can't see how the future would have gone otherwise. But at the same time, taking the ball game out of the hands of the players and, and putting it in the hands of one pitcher having a bad performance because the ump made a bad call is, well, by all means, that's baseball because it happens fucking all the time, but I understand completely why they would be upset. Oh, yeah, and again, I completely understand Red Sox fans' frustrations, but it's like Jeff Passan wrote a whole article about it today, and it's like, is it that serious? An entire article on one missed call? Is that serious? Well, It's the playoffs that caused the game to be tied to lost. And I understand that, but that also happens with, like, every game. Every game, there's a there's a call that goes the wrong way that could have led to, I don't know, someone's pitching outing ha- st- happening or going on for longer that would have resulted in us not bringing in this X reliever because we were down when we would have brought in a better reliever because we would have been up and the offense came back, but they didn't come back far enough. Like There's a snowballing effect to every decision that happens in a game, and umpires have so much control over what happens in a game that it's easy to point to any number of the literally 500 ball strike calls that an ump's going to make in a given game and say that this is the one that did it to us. In this instance, it is very obvious which one this one was. And it was very obvious what concluded as a result of it or uh, happened, progressed, transpired. Who gives a fuck? But uh, it sucks. It's the game. It is the way baseball is played. It blows, blow me. Who cares? So that's where I stand on it. That's fair. That's fair. I agree to disagree. We shall. Uh, In other news, the Dodgers squared off against the Braves yesterday. That game for us is in just a couple hours. They're their respective um, game four. I believe they're one game back. Um, And the Dodgers snuck in a win there just avoiding falling uh, down 3-0 in the series to the Braves by an also eight eighth inning ninth inning comeback off of the bats of Cody Bellinger and then um, Mookie Betts allowing them to sneak a win away from the Braves who were leading the game five to two as the Dodgers came back to win six to five and uh I saw a lot of people like classic, classic Braves blowing series leads, classic Atlanta sports up at halftime, 
not finishing it out. And it's like, guys, this shit's baseball. No one sweeps series. It's so hard to do that in the regular season to bad teams. Mm-hmm. Like, they're still up in the series two games to one. And, yeah, they might blow it. Shit happens. Yankees blew 0-4 to the Sox up 3 nothing. Shit happens. Funky shit all the time. But uh, I got to say, if you told me the Dodgers were going to win their first game, I would have expected it to be a much louder performance than just barely getting enough runs in the late innings of a home game, you know? Yeah, I know. I don't know. Fuck the Dodgers. I don't I understand. I got to say, because last time when we had last recorded game one of that series had just happened and the Braves won and we were like, ah, well, you know, shit happens. And then the Braves won the second game and it's like, oh, shit. We, Cord and I both agreed that we wouldn't be surprised if the Braves got swept from here on out and they did not. And I still feel the same. Like, again, if you told me that the Dodgers just ran the table on this series, I still wouldn't be surprised. But um, you got to admire this Braves team's tenacity. They are really fucking in these games. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where this would probably probably have been a much different season if Ronald Acuna was healthy and they'd be in a much different situation at least expectations and hype wise coming to this postseason and they're showing that hey they have enough star power and they have enough um you know big hitters and and big time moments to do it with adam and you know sure as hell that he's going to come back and only help those odds help those um sat lines help them you know keep pushing forward so oh well yeah they're certainly going to be favorites great sign yeah definitely a great sign for next year you know, it's funny the use of phrases like timely hits or timely performances, because I think as a baseball analytics community, there is some level of agreement that timeliness of hits is noticed, but also random. You know, if you're going to get 150 hits in a season, they're going to come at random times. And some of those will be right when you need them. And sometimes they'll be in the first inning with nobody on and nothing happens. Um, however, again, when you notice them, it feels somehow more intentional. Like you can't force a hit in baseball. You just mm-hmm. can't, you can make adjustments maybe so that you hit more singles. I guess you could try Baltimore chopping your way to a speedster, uh, first, you know, infield single, but you can't really just like, I'm going to hit a single at this at bat. I've decided, and that's what we're going to do. And yet it feels like that's what the Braves are doing to a certain extent. It feels like they're going up there like, yep. Yeah. It's time to get some hits. <laughs> and then, and then they get the hits and they're like, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. We're not going to do it this time though. All right. Let's get some hits. I feel like Austin Riley's just like really just annoyed all the time. And it's just like, fuck it. I'll do it myself when it comes down to it. I would argue that that is Jock Peterson. I think they are so annoyed that they are competing for each other to show who is more annoyed. Honestly, it doesn't even feel like Jock's annoyed. Jock feels like he's getting paid overtime and doesn't really care what happens. You know what I mean? He's like, look, this is all he's, he's going up there in pearl necklaces, swinging out of his shoes at every pitch near the zone and just rocking bombs to the highway. Like the, there is a careless attitude with how he's playing right now that I absolutely adore. It's like just one of those things where it's like, hey, if you don't give a shit, you can just play so much more freely and just not have that tension, not have that pressure on yourself and fucking go to town. It's like there's dudes in my like beer league softball league that um like, like pr- played ball in college. And it's very obvious which one of the dudes those guys are 
because they look like they hardly try and they are absolute murderers at the plate and in the field. And it's hilarious, though, because it looks like they just don't give a shit and are absolutely not trying. And they are always the best. And it a little bit feels like that's Jock Peterson in this series. He's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I played in like the next level above MLB last season. I'm just like letting it rock down here for a bit. I'm going to sit on the bench. Just call me when you need me to hit a home run. I'll come up and I'll hit the home run. Until then, though, I'm going to just eat these seeds back here till you need me. I could totally see Jock Peterson retiring someday at, you know, 35 or whatever. And then going out and just joining a like rec league softball beer league and not really telling anyone who he is and just ripping the ball just around and just casually doing his thing and not making a big deal about it and just absolutely destroying the confidence of just some 45-year-old men who just want to get drunk and play softball. You're describing what CC Sabathia has done since he retired. <laughs> he, joined, he joined a Central Park Softball League, just a slow-pitch league, just so he could hit bombs and is. Didn't Bartolo do that too? And like the Dominican like just went down there and just started playing against like children. Yeah, I think he's just like fucking around, like helping kids learn how to hit, but he's also seemingly not taking it very easy on them and throwing it like as hard as he can. Oh, man. It's, I gotta say, this has been a remarkable postseason so far, though. I mean, these games have been varied, I'll say, because of the, the two blowouts. And I guess that one Sox Astros game isn't a true blowout in the box score since the Red Sox, I guess, only won by a score of uh, nine to five. Um, But it wasn't the Astros collected like four of those runs in the eighth and ninth inning or some shit. It wasn't really close. Mm -hmm. Um, But largely, this has been a hell of a series. I, I on on both sides, you know, the dr- the dramatics of Houston coming back, even though their game was kind of a blowout by the end of it, coming back to even that series up after what had been such a deflating middle two games of that set so far has just been phenomenal. And then what's been going on with Dodgers and Braves has just been captivating, especially since all of those games so far have been decided by a single run. I, I mean, just what more could you fucking ask for? As it stands right now, Boston and Houston facing off. Houston currently leading one nothing in the fourth. That game's tight right now. Yeah. It's one of those postseasons where, for some reason, there were two heavy, heavy favorites. Both of them happen to be in the uh, National League, I should say. And it's turned into every single matchup has been incredibly tight and incredibly close. And just unexpected, like the Dodgers yeah. throwing Walker Bueller out there. Like, so, you know, Walker Bueller starts game four and I or game three for the Dodgers. And I tell you, they win the game. You go, oh, yeah, Walker Bueller probably did the Walker Bueller thing. He threw seven innings of like one run ball with, I don't know, 19 strikeouts and just cruised. And it's like, no, he got chased in like the third inning or some shit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, uh, the Red Sox had, uh, you know, huge blowout games. Their best hitter must be guys like Xander Bogarts. And it's like, no. Enrique Hernandez has a 500 batting average in the postseason this year for literally no reason. It's 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 and that's not to say like Enrique Hernandez is a, is a bad hitter or that Walker Bueller isn't allowed to have shitty starts. It's just wild where we've been getting the production from uh, or, or lack thereof so far. It's a, every turn has been unexpected, even if the final result is like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, if you told me that the, uh, what do you call it, Red Sox and, and Astros um, were not at two games apiece after four, I'd probably go, I, I probably would have expected the Astros to be doing better, but I don't, I don't think I'd be floored by it. But if you show me the box scores and how we got here, yeah, I'd be pretty fucking surprised. Um, because with the how good the Astros pitching has been, for them to have allowed 25 runs in three games is surprising. 
you would I would have expected some more one run ball games, which there's only been one in the ALCS so far. So I don't even I mean, this has decimated my expectations for uh, the World Series. I, I have no idea what to expect out of a World Series, regardless of how it matches up because of how these teams have performed. And honestly, that's what makes this sport fucking great, man. That's that is the exact opposite of, say, football or uh, NBA, where you can see a team's obvious strengths, obvious weaknesses, have guys come out and do more than they usually do. Sure. But I mean, this postseason, it's been it's been all over the place. It's been an absolute fucking scattershot of who's going to do what. Yeah, I mean, best team in the NBA goes to the finals. Any team can win in the NFL, but in that regard, you know the Jets aren't going to go out and beat, you know, the Arizona Cardinals or, you know, the Baltimore Ravens this year. Like, they're getting better. They're a much better team than they were last year. But at the end of the day, it's like Jets don't they are still exactly. Ravens, Cardinals, Birds, Seahawks, Birds real. Eagles. We don't beat Bird teams. What? there's a clear level of difference in the skill sets of both of those teams in baseball, the diamondbacks can win a series against the Yankees. And it's, that's just the way it goes. It's, it's random. Just roll some dice. That's how, if it, if a game is tied, we shouldn't do extra innings. Rob Manfred should just walk out there with a set of dice and just ask the captains to guess, just play dice. Or 20s down on the mound. Speaking of uh, the Yankees, because I, I for, totally forgot this happened as we were recapping what had happened before we started recording. Uh, the Yankees re-signed Aaron Boone. Yeah. Um, they signed him to a three-year contract with an additional uh, club option for a fourth year, which means that he's potentially under contract until 2025, which would be uh, eight years altogether, almost a decade of Aaron Boone baseball. And um, wow, that's uh, that's surprising. How do you feel? I don't. I'm not sure. I totally get all the moving parts behind the resign because ostensibly, there's the only reason I think you'd bring Boom back is the locker room wants him back. Because if you want, if he truly is a puppet to the front office, like everybody says he is, you wouldn't pay that guy a lot of money and give him a lot of years because you could just go find another fucking puppet. You know what I mean? Like puppets aren't hard to come by. You just pick a guy that has no backbone and says, hey, do what we tell you to do and we'll give you a paycheck. And that guy will go, yes, I got you all aboard. Um, And believe me, there are people who will do that. People will collect their paychecks and be told do whatever they get told from the front office. That's that's fine. I'm sure that the, that guy's out there somewhere. So you wouldn't need to give that guy eight years of team control. But the, go, ahead. go ahead. Do you think there's something to the idea that, you know, what, what Brian Cashman said, where, well, if Boone was a free agent on the market, he would be the number one choice for any team looking for a manager. So why would we let him go when we can just retain him where he already is? We can't do any better than that. You're the Yankees. You have the money. It doesn't affect the cap. Why not just, even if he is just a puppet and you could replace him with anybody, he's a guy that has a rapport with the team and is already, you know, in place. Why not just roll with it and just say, fuck it, we'll just keep going. Well, and that's why I... What I'm going to loop around to eventually is I don't care that they re-sign him at the end. I would, like I said on this podcast, I want him gone, but I don't, I don't think that was going to make or break the 2022 Yankees. So I, I'm not devastated by it, but I hate the rationale that they're using. And that's part of it. The whole, he'd be the best, uh, most sought after guy on the managerial marketplace. Who the fuck cares about that? You're going to tell me that you would base your hiring decisions off of how everybody else perceives that candidate. That's a horrible way to make decisions, especially coming from the analytics department. 
Yeah, they are run like a corporation. That's that's how they do things. That's so fucking dumb. That's so fucking dumb. I mean, how are you ever supposed to expect to have people have faith in your ability to scout for talent and actually find undervalued assets if you're basing your decision making of your managerial candidates based on what the other teams think? That's just horrible, horrible methodology for decision making. And again, the final result is fine. It doesn't really matter. But to say, like, we kept him because other people would like him if he hits. So what? So what? You know him better than the Padres know him. You know him better than the Cardinals know him. You should be the ones to say that we want him back because of X, Y, and Z. This isn't, you don't have to speak in the abstract. Like you have no idea how he manages your clubhouse, your locker room, your guys, because you just had him do that for four years. The idea that one of their first defenses for bringing him back is, well, the Cardinals would have loved to have him is fucking stupid. That's so stupid. God damn it. Just say you wanted him. Give me a reason you actually liked him instead of saying, well, the Padres would have loved to have. Fuck the Padres. I like the Padres, but that should not factor into your decision making for who you hire for managers, how bad other teams want him. That's fucking dumb. But I, I wanted him. Why can't you let I, me have him? I know you wanted him. And again, I don't mind that he's back. I really don't. Just the, re- the reason that they're using is bizarre. And I, I, that's why I wish they would point to more concrete things from like a fan's understanding perspective. Because even if you say he's there to soothe the, lo- the locker room likes him or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Yankees are probably going to go through a period of great roster flux in the next um, three to six months up until February, March-ish. Because, you know, Brian Cashman himself said they need a they need a permanent solution at shortstop. They're going to be reevaluating catcher. They're probably going to end up having to re- reevaluate center field. They'll probably end up that will all of that will probably require trades, which means guys like Andrew Velasquez, Luis Medina, whoever might end up going. Luis Heal might end up being traded to another team and. What I'm getting at is the locker room might be dramatically different tomorrow from what it is today. So does today's locker room matter all that much as a whole in evaluating how much they like Boone? Again, if you said our cornerstone guys or, um, you know, the locker room um, leaders really liked him, your, your Stantons, your judges, your Coles, um, maybe that's a little bit different, but the locker room as a whole, I mean, Luke Voigt, strong chance he's gone. Strong chance. I it wouldn't be too surprised if they traded Gleyber Torres this offseason. Like, we're talking, if they could trade Gary Sanchez this offseason. Like, big name guys from the last three to five years of Yankees baseball could be gone this offseason. So if Luke Voigt's off the team in two months, does it matter what his thoughts on Aaron Boone are right now? I think part of it has a lot to do with there are still going to be guys there that will be on the team next year. It's not like they're coming in with a brand new locker room. So that definitely has some weight to it. But if Boone's a guy that could win over players in the locker room that are already there, it's showing the ability to win over guys in the locker room and that guys will believe in what he has to say. And there's some level of trust there. So even when you do bring in new guys and get rid of some guys that are there that support Boone, there's still a good chance that his message and his technique will continue to win over those new players. And I think that's totally valid. And that's why I wish that, Cashman or Hal or whomever from the front office would say more stuff like that. That's a little, I'm not saying they have to get into the nitty gritty, but I think from, again, a fan perspective, like you or I, people outside of the realm of baseball who, you know, didn't play in like the minors or whatever, um, maybe don't have the firmest grasp of what separates good manager from bad manager. You know, usually when people pick on their managers, it boils down to, um, Pitching changes, 
maybe defensive changes, pinch hitting, um, and batter performance. I mean, usually it's like goofy shit like that. It's could be probably is incredibly surface level. And so if you're telling me you're bringing back Boone because he did a good job or because of some reason, I would generally like for curiosity's sake, like to know what that is. Because if Cashman came out and said, Corbin, what you just said, Mm -hmm. I I, I totally get that. I, I, yeah, I understand that rationale completely. And I can build that into my understanding of how strongly that is a point that front offices use to evaluate managerial candidates. Mm -hmm. But when you say the Padres would have wanted them or the total accumulation of our current roster likes him, even though our current roster is going to be highly in flux, those things don't mean anything to me. They don't mean anything to, I think most fans because they don't mean anything. Would you rather, if the Yankees did move on from Boone, would you rather their message be to do it? Or would you rather the Yankees make a decision based off of what they truly believe in and, and, and their gut feeling, whether it's sticking with Boone or making a change or as a reaction to fans and doing so for the fans? They should never do anything for the fans. In regards to personnel moves, they really, we, we are as a, as a, as a collective, uh, big, big, big stupids. We're just a big collection of stupids. And I, I'm including myself. A person is smart. People are stupid. Yes. Yes. And, and last I checked my biological makeup, (laughs) still a people, still one of a people. Yep. Still people. Um, And so they should never make a personnel decision. (laughs) based on what the fans want. We are a bunch of stupids just running around being stupids. So no, they should never really. And if they let Boone go, I would, it doesn't have to, again, doesn't have to be the nitty gritty. We're never going to get nitty gritty. We don't get, we don't get nitty gritty based on how they, um, the nitty gritty of how they sign players, like what, what stats they really care about. We have guesses based on what we care about. The stuff you'll you'll see on Statcast or Fangraphs: hard hit rates, launch angles, um, expected weighted on base averages, uh, walk rates in the zone, swing percent. Like we know what we would value as analytics people and fans of the sport. What we don't even really know, like we have maybe some idea based on counting stats of what an arbitration meeting might look like. We don't really know. When if we if you never work in the sport, you might never know really for, for, for sure. So I'm never going to expect the nitty gritty out of a team, but I would have liked whether they moved on from him or since they kept him, you know, they kept him um, just a little, a little glimpse of what that decision looks like from the front office. My own curiosity. Do you think, uh, do you think he's going to, well, basically, so him and Cora have contracts through the same year, correct? 2025? Oh, that's interesting. I have no idea. Let's say you're right, just for conversation's sake. Who ends up with the best performance? Uh, 2024 for Cora, by the way. Okay. Um, regular season or postseason for best performance? I won't make that distinction. Regular season, I'll say the Yankees because it's the, they're just never bad in the regular season. And I think they're going to be spending a fuck ton of money in the offseason. I, I actually believe it, which is wild. Usually I just hope. I think I believe it this year. And the Red Sox, I think, have more holes and question marks at pitching than the Yankees do at present. That could obviously change mm-hmm. come – uh, start a season 2022, Garrett would lock in and slide into the rotation and be good. Tanner Howe could be a full-time rotation member, I would guess. Stuff like that. Um, so I would guess the, the Yankees for regular season. Postseason is such a crapshoot, but I would have to imagine that there is going to be playoff expectations with a four-year contract after you've just finished a different four-year contract. 
that um, Boone maybe will start managing like his life depends on it. Maybe one would hope no more Luis Severino, not knowing what time the game is because Boone apparently didn't relay that information to him. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll say Boone mostly out of hope. Okay. I appreciate the full answer. Obviously least. has to start after this postseason though, since the Red Sox have already made it two rounds farther than the Yankees. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. Because God forbid the Red Sox make it all the way. We are not going to hold that against them. Never. Um, top of the fifth in that game, by the way, now. Still one to nothing. Quiet bats. A lot of quiet bats over there. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think there's any other big... Be- oh, actually, hold on. There is. God damn it. Sorry. I wrote these things down and I completely am forgetting about them until I check my notes. MLB is declaring oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that they are going to be requiring uh, teams to sponsor minor league housing starting in the 2022 season. Now, we don't have a lot of details on this yet. Basically, that's the, the long and short of it. Um, so it's to be mm-hmm. seen what type of housing this will be. what the minimum standard is going to be for what that housing looks like. Will players get their own rooms? Will they be required to share rooms? Is it going to be near the stadium? Will there be transportation services provided? Will food be provided in the apartments or will they have to get that themselves? Like there's so many details that we do not know. So we're going to leave a lot of the, 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 the details to the side. Um, but just first take reaction. What do you, what do you think about this big step for MLB here? I mean, obviously it's massive. I mean, it's a huge breakthrough for minor league players and, and basically allowing them to be professional ball players and be treated as goddamn human beings. And not just schmucks who like playing a game that they're willing to sacrifice a hell of a lot of money and, and basic human value to do um and i think it's a huge step in the right direction obviously you know houston kicked this all off with um you know on their own right taking uh taking the initiative there and for once it's me not sarcastically saying thanks houston um but i love this and i love what this signs for you know the future to come Again, it's going to really come down to how this is how this is done, whether I think the way I would prefer this to be done is that the teams buy property, buy apartment buildings or like duplexes, some shit, it doesn't matter, and just have the players stay there without paying rent rather than issue stipends. Because I would see some version of you know the permutations of possibilities falling loosely in those two categories. MLB teams provide housing at no cost versus giving money to players to pay for it. And I would rather them give the players housing so that the numbers don't conflate. I'd rather those two be two entirely separate things in people's minds than having MLB teams artificially inflate salaries by having these costs going into paychecks. Because I think that they could use that to their advantage to create an argument that, hey, look, now we pay a a fair wage when really, no, you don't. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the other thing. Some people joke that this is essentially now feudalism, which uh, not not wrong, not wrong. And that's part of the reason this really isn't the end of the conversation, because if you are making minimum wage and minimum wage in a lot of cities and states that have minor league baseball teams are usually not high. You know, you have a lot of minor league baseball teams in a lot of towns in like the South where minimum wage is still 725. Even Mm -hmm. with your rent covered, that's still not a lot of money. That's not enough money to afford a car payment, uh, consistently gas consistently good meals and much less 
getting by when it's not baseball season, which would still be a concern. And one of the things we have to see, does this housing extend to the off season, stuff like that. Um, however, again, all that being said, and there's so much to get into when we get some details on this, this is obviously a good step. I, I am wary because MLB does not make altruistic steps. They do not. Um, but this seems to be a good step, which is weird. How much do you think they'll use this in CBA negotiations? I can only imagine that's the reason this just happened. Yeah. CBA negotiations start in like a month. I can only yeah. imagine that that's the reason this just happened. How else are you going to? Like, it's... I mean, it makes no sense otherwise. It makes absolutely no sense otherwise. I mean, you know, we see more players wearing those um, the the fair ball wristbands, which are, are from um, the advocates for the minor leagues, uh, which we've donated money to on this podcast in the past. Um, mm-hmm. And there's been mounting social pressure. More people, more writers have been writing about it because of the major league exposures, shit like that. Heading into CBA negotiations, you can only expect that that's the reason they did this, but. Fuck, who knows? Uh, the other thing MLB announced on the same day as they announced the, the housing is they will be looking into creating a platform for people to stream their favorite team's home uh, or games in their home market. So if you do not have a cable package and you live in St. Louis, there's really no good way for you to watch the St. Louis Cardinals because mm-hmm. if you buy MLB TV, you're going to get blacked out. MLB is trying to apparently find a way where without cable, you could have an option to pay for a service somewhere between 10 and $20 a month based on geographical location is my guess, um, where you could pay to watch the Cardinals at in St. Louis, all the games, not just the primetime ones that get put on like ESPN. Which is also um, very interesting. I'm intrigued. I think it would be a great platform to have. It's ridiculous that it's blacked out already and the platform doesn't exist or that we even have this issue to begin with. I'm concerned about how much they're going to charge us. If it is 10, uh, even if it's 20 bucks a month, I think the problem is that there wasn't an option. I think a a large percentage of baseball fans who have the want to watch that many baseball games would pay 20 bucks a month for their team's games. Mm -hmm. If it is capped at 20. Um, The real issue is probably going to come from MLB's line. It's probably going to come down to a lot of legal bullshit over broadcasting rights. I would imagine it's probably going to be some fights because they're talking about a whole new streaming service. Because obviously the easiest way to do this from a um, infrastructure standpoint would be to just stop blocking out games on MLB TV. Like you already have the service, just don't do that. But since they're talking about creating a whole new service, I would imagine it's because of some potential disputes over broadcasting rights. That's my guess. But again, two very seemingly positive news stories coming out of MLB on the same day where again, devil in the details, but uh, it seems positive. We'll see. How much would you pay if you lived in San Diego to uh, watch the Padres? I pay ten bucks a month. I don't know if I pay much more. I mean, honestly, I probably wouldn't pay for it just because you don't need to pay for those kind of things to find those streams online. Um, but for ease of use, you know, I'd pay fifteen, twenty bucks a month if, if just to be able to have it on the TV reliably. You know, that's the real thing for me. I hate hooking up my laptop to my TV. I find it very fucking annoying. And then I don't, I can't browse my laptop as readily 
as uh, as I would otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I would also greatly prefer the TV version, but and I I could see myself paying twenty bucks a month. I know it's steep, but that baseball season for non playoff ball, which gets nationally broadcast, so uh, you should be able to get it um, from Fox and TBS, which mm-hmm. I guess you would still need a cable package for, but you could, I think, also subscribe to those services by themselves. So anyway, regular season ball going from mm, March to October. So well, that's seven months, eight months, 160 bucks a year. The hours that out over 12 months and, and you're all of a sudden you're at, you know, 13 bucks a seat, uh, 14 bucks a, a month. That's, that's not awful. Even if it's at, at 20 for the full season. So mm-hmm. you're talking, you're talking a Netflix subscription. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how I kind of base that price in my head. Yeah. Just, I might not watch it as much as I watch Netflix, but at the same time, it's worth more, you know, when it comes down to it, it's not like I can watch Netflix or I can su- subscribe to Netflix at any time and stream something and, and cancel it when I'm done watching it. Like you don't need to, you, you Netflix is there forever, or at least, you know, while it's on the platform, it's a live game. You can only really watch it live. That adds value just inherently. Right. So I don't know what to do with myself. All this good baseball news. Who the who the hell knows? So anyway, we'll It'll we'll be keeping crashing down. Don't worry. It will. As I was gonna say, we'll we'll be keeping an eye on it to to see what ends up happening with these details. And I'm sure we're gonna get mad at something between these two pieces of good news down the line somewhere. But we'll wait for those things to inevitably happen before we make any comments. Um, and other news, we promised that we would watch the Seahawks Steelers game to help keep on top of our two favorite teams. And it sounds like neither of the two of us did that. Yeah. Uh, Sunday night football conflicted with Sunday night baseball. So I was out and, uh, Corwin had just other shit going on in his life. So neither of us got there, but the Steelers won. Um, and this is not wholly unexpected since their opposing quarterback was Geno Smith, who I did not realize was still in football and is, and did the Geno Smith thing, which is lose. Um, also notably, Jamal Adams made a fool of himself on national television um, by apparently having uh, some potential interception bounce off of his fucking dome um, as the Seahawks fell to a not super great Steelers team and now sit at the bottom of the NFC West at two and four, just a single half game better than the jets. And that's problematic because if you're a Seahawks fan, well, your first round pick is owned by the jets. And if you have a shit season, you probably wanted that first round pick. Same with the, uh, the Eagles and the uh, Dolphins. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's even worse, too. So one in five have a top five pick right now. Going straight to Philadelphia, baby. So as it stands, if the draft happened tomorrow, the draft order would be first overall pick would be Detroit. Second overall pick would be Philadelphia on behalf of Miami. Third would be Jacksonville. Fourth would be Houston. Fifth would be the Giants. Sixth would be the Jets. Seventh would be the uh, the Patriots. Eighth would be the Eagles again. Ninth would be the Eagles again from the Colts. And then tenth would be the Jets again from Seattle. So that's in the top ten. In the top ten, if the draft happened today, and again, a lot could happen, the Eagles would have three first, three top ten picks, and the Jets would have two top ten picks. That's the fucking Eagles have nuts. Three top ten picks and may not need a quarterback. Wow. Yeah. That is a lot of Damn. swinging your dick ability here. Damn. 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 I can't wait for the draft. I love it. This is going to be a wild one. Um, yeah, I can't if, wait to see which disappointing quarterback the Steelers end up getting. 
at like pick 17 or when they overpay the Eagles for one of their many picks. Uh, by the way, as it stands right now, the Pittsburgh Steelers are would be picking 20th. Um, that won't stand. Man, you got to wonder what the fuck Miami's going to do. They had, what, a 10-win season last year? And this year are... This year they're starting off with a 1-5 and record and are at the bottom of the AFC East, don't have the first overall, don't have their first round pick, and Tua Tagovailoa might not be the answer they thought he was. That's fucking rough, man. So the Ooh, current big ouchie, the, bro. Oofy, oofy, owie. The current rumor circulating Twitter is that the Deshaun Watson trade, which should go down this week, if true, is a three-team trade involving Tua going to Washington and Deshaun going to Miami. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. I wonder what the Texans would be getting back to make that deal worth it. If you're not getting to a, I was going to say that you'd probably have to get a first round pick from each team, but the Dolphins don't have one to give. Yeah. I don't know. Actually, no, I shouldn't say that. Miami does have San Francisco's first overall pick. It's our first round pick. So they do have a first round pick. But it's San Francisco. There's some kind of rule in place about trading another team's first round pick. And like when you don't have your own, I really wish I knew more details so I could look this up. But my goodness, like it, it's such a weird rule. I don't know if it would even take effect in this case, or if there are other, other some like pre work, if there are some other prerequisites that would have to be taking place for it to count. But I don't know. I guess this is much ado about nothing. That's the first time I've even heard about the possibility of such rules. So I have no fucking clue. Um, but man, mm-hmm. this is, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what the Eagles and the Dolphins do for the rest of the year. The Texans, they trade Deshaun Watson when and if they trade Deshaun Watson. It's so tough to speculate. Um, this is like the fourth time we're hearing a potential rumor. So I'm I'm done until something happens. Wake me up when it actually happens. Um, Wake up when September ends. Wake me up when September ends. So if the Jets beat the Patriots on Sunday, which I'm not saying they will. I'm not saying they won't. Um, that would put the Jets in second place in the AFC East. Now, does that mean anything? Absolutely not, because it doesn't get you anywhere. The AFC East is not good. But if you told me at the beginning of the season that the Jets would be in second in the AFC East come late October, I'd be pretty happy. And so if come October, the Jets are in second place in the AFC East with two wins, I think I'm still happy. Our could next win if, ties the most wins we had last season. Could you imagine if three teams in the AFC East all had top 10 picks? Well, technically. A by record? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be great. That would, that would be really, really great. I mean, that's what it is right now. By true record, Miami would have the second overall pick. Um, mm-hmm. the Jets would have the sixth overall pick and New England would have the seventh overall pick. Like that's already the case right now. Oh man, I just And the I... status quo on that seems awfully powerful. Yeah, I mean the Patriots just look off. Like they just don't have that mojo. Would have thought losing Tom Brady would be a pretty big deal. I hate it. I hate it. I, I do not like it. Uh, I do not like it one bit. Sam, I am. Mm-hmm. It's not fun. Get me off Mr. Brady's wild ride. Uh, there's been a lot of other stuff with football going on. Obviously, Trayvon Diggs is a big thing. Aaron Rodgers talks shit to the entirety of Chicago. Um, a lot going on, but we've rambled for a while. I have anyway. And, uh, Playoff baseball is going to chew up most of our conversation while it's still a going. So, 
tough nuggets, I guess. Tough um, Corwin, you got anything else before we get out of here? What should I get for dinner? Pizza. Hmm. Josh, trying to kill me. Yes. But I might just do it anyway. There you have it, folks. You know what? Breaking news. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking news on Corwin Heller's eventual bout with diarrhea. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, once again, I will be out this upcoming week heading to Austin. So uh, we're going to try to do a quick show at, at the conclusion of the championship series before we head into the World Series. So keep an eye out for that. It probably won't follow our typical recording schedule. So no guarantees on when it happens. I mean, if both series finish up at six games, then, you know, it'll probably be sooner than if both series go to seven games. Ain't that fucking wild. So we'll see. TBD, no real schedule. We'll resume our normal recording schedule in the first week of November after I get back, but until then, it'll be a little bit quiet. So go back and listen to your old favorite episodes and let us know when they are. <laughs> um, yeah, in the meantime, yeah. if you'd like to follow the show, you can do so at Juicing Pod on Twitter, at Juicing Pod. If you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you'd like to send emails to the show, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. And uh, until next time, y'all have a good one. Bye.